Welcome to the Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. This is the Coaching Kernan Podcast. We're on episode 128 here. We've got a great guest today. Has touched all realms of baseball and continues to give back. And we're going to hear about that in a little bit. But I want to give a little quick message to our audience before we uh, introduce Kevin a little further and get into to Dave Trembley's background. Uh, to our audience, thank you for supporting us. We're approaching 13,000 subscribers right now. We should hit that mark at the end of the week. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. I'm doing a post every morning based on your questions. 192 questions this morning. I answer one, uh, but I get back to everybody by the end of the day. Thank you for that type of support. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Or wherever you listen to your podcast, you can certainly download us. So continued support for us. We can keep bringing you great content and build better baseball IQs. Kevin, welcome back to the show here. And uh, I guess you're, you've had a chance to see how this pitch clock has been working and a little rule changes and you're, you're, you're down on assignment today. So what's your, what's your been your observation thus far? Yeah, it's great to be with you again, Dave. And, um, you know, it's going to make the game faster. My observation is really basic. Why weren't pitchers doing this on their own? You know, I, I know the hitters are slowing them down. I think it's going to affect the hitters more than the pitchers. Uh, unintended consequences because MLB sometimes tries something to try to help one side and it actually helps the other side. And I think that's where we're at. The hitters, I think, are in for a real um, – they're going to have to reevaluate how how they get set up and everything else. And, and wait till you get to later in the season, late in the games, important games – I'm, I'm not uh, – it's great that the games are faster, but I want them to be better. I just don't want them to be quicker. So we'll see where it goes. I'm at the Mets today. I'll see it uh, live, see what's going on here. And um, it's fun to watch a workout where the Mets actually do a workout, by the way. So that's that's where I'm at with the uh, pitch clock and, uh, you know, the eight seconds for the batter. That's huge. And, um, hit, you know, hitters are going to have to get in there ready to hit. And here's the other thing I want to throw out real quick. I think you're going to see guys going back to more of a two-strike approach more often, uh, maybe not even with two strikes, because you can't, in my mind, and, and our guest can answer this much better than I can, but if, if you got that clock going and, you're, you know, that pitcher, pitcher's working you quick and you take big, three big swings, you're going to be, you know, there's the, the strength in this thing. You're going to be tired a little bit. So that, that's just some thoughts I have for early on. And, uh, and, of course, you've had a couple of great articles, again, on Ball 9. Our listeners, please continue to support Ball 9. It's our brethren there. We, we love what they're doing. And Kevin, of course, turns out two gems every week. Um, anything we should turn back to from your previous articles that you want the listeners to pay attention to? Uh, it's all there. Just go to Ball 9. Check them out. You won't be disappointed. You know, I just want to get to, to Dave today. Yeah. So we'll get rolling. Sounds good. So with, our, with that, our guest, episode 128 here, Coach and Kernan. Uh, our guest, Dave Trembley, Director of Player Development for the Atlanta Braves in 2015, was, has been the bench coach for the Houston Astros. We know how successful they are now in Major League Baseball. Uh, manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Before that, uh, minor league manager for 20 seasons, compiling close to 1,400 wins. Won two league titles, earned Manager of the Year award in three different leagues. Baseball America selected him as one of the minor league baseball's top five managers of the previous 20 years. Served as a coach in the inaugural Futures game, which you all love watching now to see the next great stars. Served as manager of the Southern League and AA All-Star Games for two seasons. Worked with a number of different clubs, the Orioles we mentioned, the Astros, but also the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Padres, in addition to the Braves that we mentioned. 
uh, and doing the research. I, I love what you're doing now, Dave, but before I introduce you, that the, the work you did with the Appalachian League, the now defunct league, but kind of a, a starting school for prospects and then moved to Bristol and then State College. I think you're you're giving back to the game and then some, and um, I, I love that you're still a part of it and hope you can turn some of these youngsters into some major league players down the road. So with that, Dave Tremley, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Um, you know, it's just fun to be with you guys. I got a long history with uh, Kevin and uh, people in the baseball community. And Dave, I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, I've had a tremendous uh, career. I've been able to do some things that I dreamt about when I was a kid and, you know, met a lot of nice people. And at this point in time, um, the opportunity to help young people maybe fulfill their dreams and get to way, where they want to go is uh, you know, been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Do, do you mind if we start there with the developmental leagues? The, no, not at all. Listen to how you describe the work that you did in the Appalachian League and the importance for those first and second year college players. We talked off the air and a little before the show about your significance with the Bristol League and State College and how Major League Baseball, USA Baseball, starting to get involved. Uh, share with our audience the significance of that and why, uh, why you chose to do that right now. Well, Major League Baseball and USA Baseball reached out to me a couple of years ago saying that they were going to, um, you know, put the league in the old Appalachian League that, you know, they lost all their affiliates. And I thought it was a great idea. But, you know, my one question that I asked them before I agreed to do it was, could I teach baseball fundamentals? And they said that was their main purpose of developing the league. You know, you get so many of these young people now that are coming out of showcase and travel baseball where they really don't learn the nuances of the game and they're never exposed or taught baseball fundamentals or the team aspect. So that was very appealing to me because my background for a long time has been player development. Even when I managed in the big leagues, it was player development because we had so many young players. Um, and it was for college freshmen and sophomores that were, that had, uh, you know, dreams of getting signed there was 10 teams in the league. We played six days a week with one day off. And it was old school baseball where a lot of guys had never been exposed to it. They didn't know the fundamentals of the game. Um, and I certainly enjoyed it. I had two major league uh, coaches and Larry McCall and Barbara Garbay, and we did baseball. And, um, you know, then the major league baseball draft league opportunity came along. And they asked me to if I would manage that club. And so I last year I was in State College, Pennsylvania, and I'm going to return there again this year. And we played 40 games before the draft and 40 games after the draft. And the league is a little bit different because it's for college juniors that are draft eligible. And uh, it's the same premise where you teach baseball fundamentals and you really run the league as if it's rookie ball um, for first-year guys who have just signed. So – you know, the guys are, have been very receptive to me. I think Major League Baseball has done a really good job of, uh, you know, giving young people an opportunity to get into what professional baseball is all about, but more importantly, to bring the game back to baseball fundamentals and, and teaching the game. Yeah. And share a little bit about, uh, you know, your pregame for those young kids out there. We were listening to in 46 countries, grassroots, all the way up to front offices. As I researched the way that you did your pregame, it brought me back to my college and, and minor league days. And it was, like you said, old-fashioned baseball. Share with our audience, you know, game time starts at 6 o'clock, and you can take the Appalachian League or or the uh, Bristol or State College teams that you're with now. What's what's your two, 
get the kids get to the park at two o'clock, what are they going to go through? Well, we would we would open up the cage, uh, the hitting cage at one thirty, and we would uh, have guys come in groups of four. Uh, our roster in uh, the Appalachian League was thirty, and our roster in the state college was uh, twenty six. So we would have four or five groups of four hitters apiece, and uh, we would open up the batting facilities uh, for an hour so guys could hit, get acclimated. Uh, to early work, and then every day we would do a different team fundamental. Monday we would do bunt defense. Tuesday we would do picks and rundowns. Wednesday we would do cuts and relays. Thursday we would do first and third defense. Friday we would do pop fly, fly ball communication. Saturday we would do base running, offense and defense, you know, the double steal. We would take infield every day. We would take batting practice every day. Then we would play the game at 635. Um and it was six days a week. And what I found was uh, the guys really liked it. Um, I asked guys, I had guys from major colleges, and they had not never done team fundamentals before. And I asked them basically what their practices were like. And they said they would come out and hit. They would take ground balls, and they would play. And I think really what has happened in the game, because that approach is permeated with the travel ball and the showcase, and, you know, we want to win all the time, is – We've really developed a one-dimensional player, and we've really developed, I hate to say this, we've developed a selfish player that, you know, how hard can I throw it and how far can I hit it? And, um, you know, I think the game has suffered because of that. But the opportunity that Major League Baseball has provided in the draft league and what they're providing in the Appy League is to teach baseball fundamentals, and I have found – uh, to a man and to a player, the players love it. And uh, a lot of the things that we learned in high school and growing up and on the playground and watching the games, uh, these guys have never been exposed to. I want to throw one more at you and then, then kind of turn it over to Kevin. Um, your first communications when you take over a team, I, I, I heard you got a hold of the pitchers right away. What was What did you perceive to be – any type of disconnect that they had coming in from their environment as a college player to you now as a, as a guy that's teaching the game, what's different about what you were helping the pitchers and catchers with as opposed to what they were going through? Well, I have found that, um, you know, instincts and the ability to make decisions, um, is very few and far between. I had a catcher from a major college and, you know, he's catching the first game of the season for us and he's looking over at me every pitch and in between innings I call him over and I said hey what are you doing he says Dave four years of high school and now my freshman year in college I've never called a pitch um and this is no disrespect to you know what is going on but the guys got the wristbands on their wrists and they got the the pads on their belt buckle and they got the notes in their cap pocket and uh they never learn how to play the game uh my connect with the guys was it's not how hard you throw it. It's not what your spin rate is. It's not what your launch angle is. It's not what your exit velocity is. It's let's learn how to play the game the right way first. And then those other things will follow. If you never learn um, to repeat your delivery, you're never going to be able to command your fastball. If you can't command your fastball, you're not going to have very good velocity. If you don't learn to use the whole field to hit and how to hit with two strikes and learn the strike zone, your exit velocity and your launch angle doesn't mean anything. So um, 
that's the approach that we that we took and that we will continue to take. And I think you'll find the process that these players developed led to their being able to be successful. And the proof in the pudding was last year in state college, we had 10 players that were drafted. And then after the draft, we had four more players that signed as non-free agent, uh, non-drafted players. So I think the message was uh, clearly established and very well received. I like that. I, I lied. I've got one more question that I want to. <laughs> That's throw fine, Dave. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, when you, you mentioned, and I and I hit this. We've got a group that we're working with down here, and you mentioned they learn how to play selfish, and it's you know you're not attacking anybody. It's just it's just the way that the kids are brought up right now. When you're transferring that to the the hitter now, um, how do you communicate to a hitter? You know, they get four at bats. You know, what's selfish? What's not selfish? How much is for you? How much is for the team? How, how do you translate or communicate that to them? Yeah, real simple. I tell the guys, you're going to get four at-bats every night, and one of them is going to be for the team. There is going to be a situation for you one time during the game where you're going to be asked to do something for the team. The other three bats are yours, and what you do with them says something about your approach and and your ability to make adjustments. But one of those at-bats, usually every night in a nine-inning game, you're going to be asked to do something for the team, whether it be move a runner, hit and run, a guy on third and less than two outs, hit a ground ball to knock him in, draw a walk, uh, bunt the ball. Uh, and so that's the approach that we we take. And the other one is in this league was I told the players, it really doesn't matter if you go 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. The next day, we're going to put you right back in there. And what we're looking at is develop and you know show some progress in learning how to be not only a better baseball player but a team player. I love that. Thanks for that. And Kevin, sorry I jumped in on that one. No, that's great, Dave. And actually, um, for Coach Dave and, and, and our guest Dave, I mean, we've been saying this forever. These kids need this. They want this. And, and already the first 13 minutes of this podcast is gold. You're not getting this anywhere else, folks. I mean, the, the information we're giving here is real baseball information. We have real baseball people. And they tell real baseball stories and, and we don't cut them off. We let them talk. And I think I was just mesmerized listening to uh, Dave Tremblay's talk because it's so right. These kids want they want to be taught this. And 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 just so people understand where Dave comes from, too. You know, he, he ran teams, minor leagues, everything about. So he knows more about um, uh Grow, you know, getting these young players into their heads. And I, I am I wrong, Dave? Don't you have a degree in sports psychology as well? Is yes. That, and was that from Penn State? I went to graduate school at Penn State. The ironic thing is, is when Major League Baseball asked me to come into the league and, and manage a club in the Major League Baseball Draft League, they said, well, we have a, an opportunity to go to State College, Pennsylvania. And I said, well, you know, that'd be really nice because 46 years ago I was a grad assistant there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, baseball's a circle. It all comes around. And yes, uh, and these kids, I, I, I'm going to go so far as to say guys like Dave Tremblay are saving baseball. Because imagine, where would these kids be, Dave, without knowing, you know, like you say, and you see it, I see it in, you see it in college programs. They just, uh, they roll up, they roll the balls out. It's, it's glorified travel ball. And I'm curious, what kind of feedback did you get from, uh, major league people or baseball people in, in in the New York offices. Obviously, it's got to be good because it, they've had your back. So you must be one of their uh, golden type teachers in my mind. Well, it's been uh, 
you know, Sean, uh, Kevin, it's been great for me because, you know, this is how we've been brought up. And this is what I think the premise of the draft league and the Apple league was and is, is to develop and expose and give these kids an opportunity to learn the game and to have good teachers, mentors, coaches, um, you know, we're not trying to get back to the big leagues. We're not trying to self-promote mm-hmm. or anything. It's, you know, this is our purpose. Um, this is what we take a great deal of pleasure in and seeing guys get better and buy into it. Um, and and the people in the, the offices at Major League Baseball have been very encouraging and very supportive and said, this is what we want. And so I give them a lot of credit um, for understanding and realizing the direction that the game has gone perhaps in the last few years. And the key word that I use is called balance. I understand very clearly that these kids are hooked on the analytics and the computer and and all the data. I understand that and accept it. But there is a place, and I think Major League Baseball is coming to realize that we need to teach these young people how to play the game. And I think that's, you know, I've been the Dominican and we were with the Braves, you know, we ran academies down in Dominican. I managed in winter ball in Mexico and Venezuela. The kids down there, they learn how to play the game because they play the game all the time. Um, here, what what's happened in the last few years is mostly it's just play the game. You never practice you don't come out and do fundamentals. I had kids from major universities last year, the second day we're at state college. They said, fellas, we're going to do cuts and relays. <laughs> and I had a kid tell me, he said, Dave, we've never done cuts and relays. I said, what do you do at practice? He said, we take ground balls, we take BP, and we enter squad. Amazing. And, um, I said, well, we're going to do cuts and relays and first and third and bunts and picks and rundowns and pop-ups and fly balls and first and third defense. And that's all part of the game because I think you have to teach situational baseball and you have to give players an opportunity to learn how to play the game so that when these situations arise in the game, they can make decisions on their own. And they're not what I call robots because there's a lot of the game now that seems to be uh, very mechanical. And I think we're trying to get away from that. No. And I, and, and it's so important that, and hopefully, to be quite frank, you know, every, every staff should have a Dave Trembley in the major leagues on it, and, and they should be, you know, field coordinator, that type of thing. I want people to know, too, that, uh, you know, Dave, my brother, Sean, covered Dave many years ago, um, you know, in Daytona with the Daytona Cubs. And uh, so we go way back, goes back with my family, and uh, I'm sure Sean will get a kick out of this uh, podcast as well. But you've also, your time with the Braves, let everybody know about some of the young players and what you guys did to get them developed. And lo and behold, the Braves are, are a, uh, a monster team right now because of, because of that work. Well, I can remember very clearly, um, you know, getting the opportunity to go to work for the Braves. It was uh, John Scherholz, who obviously, uh, you know, is the architect of 14 straight division titles with the Braves and a Hall of Famer, just a tremendous guy. And I remember... Uh, coming to work for the Braves and um, Brian Bridges was the scouting director and I was the director of player development and also the field coordinator. So we were basically in charge of all the 
instruction to not only the players, but the coaches as well. And John Cherholtz came in with a Baseball America and he held it up in the fall. And he said uh, the Braves were ranked 29th in the minor leagues as far as development and having prospects. And he said, this is going to change. We're going to get back to the way the Braves have always done it with uh, scouting and player development. Bobby Dews running the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, Brian Bridges went out and drafted some really good players. And we put a lot of emphasis in the Dominican. But we had guys that were 16 and 17 and 18 years old. And most of them are, have developed into great players with – with the Braves from Ozzy Alves to Riley, Contreras, Acuna, um, Max Freed, Ian Anderson. I mean, every one of those guys we had uh, from A ball, double A, went to the big leagues, had him in instructional league. And it was the Braves way of doing things. And it was a the way things were done in the big leagues trickled all the way down. The bunt plays, first and third, the way you took BP, everything was the Braves' way. And we had tremendous teachers, guys that were coaches and managers in the Braves organization. Rick Albert, um, just Rocket Wheeler, Randy Ingle, Dave Wallace. I mean, on and on. Guys that have been in baseball 35, 40 years that were teachers of the game and uh, you know those guys developed they developed and uh, remember having Swanson Swanson came from you know being 1-1 in the country with Arizona and he came and you know we're training at Disney and I remember Swanson's first spring training we didn't quite know who was going to be the shortstop and who was going to be the second baseman and you know in spring training we'd play Albies a little bit at second and play Swanson a little bit at short and then flip them and I remember Swanson coming to me and he said, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. And he said, hey, I'll go to, I'll go anywhere, but I want to show the Braves that I can play shortstop. So I went to John Schurholtz and uh, John Hart, who was the president of the club then. And I said, hey, Swanson wants to play shortstop. Well, we sent we sent uh, Albies to A-ball and we sent uh, Swanson to double-A and Later on that year, I go to Jacksonville, and they called me, and they said, how do you think Swanson's doing? I said, he's ready to go to the big leagues. The next day, he went to the big leagues. He's been there ever wow. since. So, um, but that, that, the, Braves, that, the, the Braves were tremendous at developing players, and uh, I think three, four, five years later, you see the proof in the pudding. They have had tremendous success at the major league level because those kids learned how to play in the minor leagues. They did not learn how to play when they got to the big leagues. They already knew how to play. And the great run they had last year, beating out the Mets, and, uh, you know, they ran into a little bit of buzzsaw in the playoffs. But when you see when you see these guys playing now, you know, it, it must it must, it must must feel – and a guy like Swanson getting a big deal with the Cubs, obviously. You must have a, a sense of pride just uh, helping them out along the way. And that, and that story you just told about Swanson, that, that tells you so much about him, like – yeah, he'll be a team guy, but he wants to show he was the shortstop. And and you don't learn that unless you know what you're doing and, and teaching the right way, like the Braves were teaching and you were teaching. Well, I think that's been the marquee of the teams that have been very successful over a long period of time. They they trust, which is a very big word, they trust the people that are uh, the mentors, the coaches, the managers, the coordinators, the special assignment guys. And, and experience is is so valuable um, 
and the relationships that you form with the players, I think, uh, goes beyond anything that you could ever explain. Uh, you know, I hear from a lot of those kids, and they're men now, and they've got three, four, five, six years under their belt now playing in the big leagues. But they all know, and I think this is a secret for all of us, they all remember where they came from, and they're all very appreciative of, um, you know, the approach that was taken. And I think that's why the Braves have been so successful, too, in, in signing and developing so many young uh, Latin players because they have such a pipeline of trust that these kids know once they get to the Braves, they're going to be taken care of and people are going to teach them how to play the game. And, you know, that's, um, that's just the, been the marquee, I think, at every successful organization. You know, I was with the Orioles and – you know, it was the Oriole way from uh, Cal Ripken Sr. And when we got there with the Orioles, that's what they wanted. They wanted me to develop at the major league level and put back, um, you know, the fundamentals in the Oriole way. And we started that in the minor leagues for a couple of years in double A and then went to triple A. And, and I remember Mike Flanagan and Jim Duquette calling me and saying, hey, Dave, do you think you can do this in the big leagues? And I said, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Do you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> and and uh, they said, no, tell us the truth. I said, I can do it, but, uh, you know, you got to back me up and we got to get this philosophy across to the players that we're going to start with the Oriole way of teaching how to play the game the right way. And I think, you know, we were there for uh, going on our fourth season and then left. And I think then after that, you saw the development of guys like Weeders and Jones and Markakis and a lot of other younger players that came through the system and it takes a little bit of time. You got to have patience, but you got to be committed to the process, and the process will lead people um, to where they want to go. Yeah, such wise words, and and those guys, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people have told me through the years about the perfect teammate being Marcakis and him passing those, uh, you know, those lessons along. Uh, our show here, before I throw it back to Dave, uh, our show here is, you know, we, we try to help the young player as well the amateur player, the kid going to college and things like that. Just just give us some key advice. Like if you had a, you know, grandson or a son, you know, at that 12, 13 age level, give us some advice that you would tell, you know, first a pitcher and then a position player. Well, one, I, uh, you know, as a young player, I wouldn't get locked into one position. That's, I, would, that's I would try to get point. experiences as many different, positions as I possibly could because you never know. I mean, um, you know, guys that get to the big leagues and all of a sudden they change. I mean, we could go the litany of guys. B.J.O., you know, was a catcher that made him a second baseman. Dale Murphy was the catcher went to center field. I mean, on and on and on. Mickey Mantle was a shortstop, but he went to center field. I mean, they hit Stan Musial, you know, was a pitcher to become a uh, 340 lifetime hitter. I wouldn't get locked into one position over 12 or 13 years old. I'd learn how to play the game by getting exposed to more than one position. I think usually at 12 and 13, those kids, your best athlete is probably your shortstop. And when he doesn't, uh, not your shortstop, he plays first base. Um, and then as they get a little bit older, they just, you know, they, they never practice. They just go to tournaments and play showcase baseball and travel baseball. I would try to get as much experience as you possibly could, and I would learn how to play other sports as well, uh, get away from maybe the syndrome of, of getting discouraged or the burnout of when you're 15 or 16, you're hurt or you've had too much or the pressure's on you. I'd let them play. 
I'd let them play. And I'd also, with all due respect, I would, because I've gone through this, you know, in the minor leagues, the game is no longer for the parents. The game is for the players. I would Great be, point. I would be supportive. Um, I would try to get them exposed to people that I trust as far as a coach, a mentor, a developer in a league. And uh, it's not a money-making operation. And a lot of kids are fed, you know, the uh, parents are fed this illusion of grandeur that all their kids are going to go to Division One school and all going to get drafted. I would stay away from that and downplay a lot of that. Let them play. Uh, let them uh, make some mistakes. Learn how to do things right. Develop with Derek Jeter. <laughs> Derek Jeter is the greatest example for this word, a routine. Develop a routine that works for you and stick with it. Um, and I think we'll find that you'll develop better players. Guys will have more fun. And they'll be, uh, be able to contribute to the success of the game and enjoy it for a longer period of time. Yeah, that's 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 platinum advice. And again, we're so lucky to have you on the show. And and, um, and you know, like I said, with, with Sean and myself, uh, it's so great. And this is the other thing. I, and I, I know the music's starting here now, so it's getting a little loud at Clover Park. But I got one more. Tell us what it was like with the Daytona Cubs, because that's a different world. You, you develop those kind of players. Um, you know, you got to win a little bit, but you got to learn and. Uh, I think that experience, you know, A-ball is fascinating. Uh, what were some of the highlights there with, with Daytona? Well, you know, I was in Daytona in 1995. was my uh, first year here in Daytona. I had, I had managed in AA. I'd been with a few organizations. Um, I was very fortunate that, you know, the, the, the Cubs were very geared to player development, scouting player development. A lot of the guys that – came up to the big leagues, came through the system, and there was a progression. There was a checklist of things you had to master before you went from A-ball to double-A to triple-A before you got to Wrigley Field. Jim Hendry was the farm director, uh, a former he college. He had stories. Jim, Jimmy has stories. <laughs> uh, oh, what a great guy. You talk about energy. But a former college coach at Creighton, and um, he said, hey, I want you to develop these guys and teach these guys. Daytona is a little bit different in the summer. It's very hot. It's very warm. But there's some distractions off the field. <laughs> you yep. know, it's a tourist place. There's a lot of college kids. There's uh, spring break. Um, but I had some guys that were committed. And later on, uh, we started off very bad. We, were, uh, we, we weren't very good at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I had some prospects, and we kept with it. Kevin Ory was a third baseman. Jason Maxwell played shortstop at the time. The draft was unlimited. And Alan Dunn, who was a scout at the time, and then later became my bullpen coach, and we spent nine years in the minor leagues together as my pitching coach. Um, we drafted a kid out of Middle Tennessee State. His name was Jason Maxwell. He was the last guy in the country picked. He was a 74th round guy, and I think the 750th player. He was a skinny little guy that played shortstop. He ended up, I think, got five years in the big leagues as a utility guy with the Cubs and the Twins. Um, a guy that played uh, center field, Bo Porter, was an inner city kid out of New Jersey, was a two, 
two-sport star at the University of Iowa, captain of the Rose Bowl team, I think, in 93. Uh, he was a very good player. Kerry Wood was an 18-year-old kid that could throw hard, but uh, I had good teachers. I had Richie Zisk. I had Jim Slayton as my pitching coach. These guys were major league guys and were tremendous. We ended up winning the Florida State League championship. Uh, those guys developed. A lot of them got to the big leagues. I think one of the key things is, is and Dave, you were a coach, and Kevin, you've been around coaches and managers your whole life. The players will remember how you treat them. And the players will remember and know very clearly if you care about them as a person first and as a player second. And more importantly, can you help them get to where you want to go? So trust is a real big word. And I use Bo Porter as an example. In 1995, Bo Porter was my center fielder on that team. Years, years later, years later in 2011, when I got fired by the Orioles, Bo Porter became a manager of the Houston Astros. He called me at midnight and said, Dave, tomorrow they're going to name me the manager of the Houston Astros. I want you to come with me and be my bench coach. I remember how you treated me when you had me with the Cubs. That's awesome. So th that experience that I had in Daytona, and I did it again the following year in 96, then went to AA, went to AAA, then came back to Daytona and did it again. That was probably the best time of my life because we got to teach, and I think the key word is – um, not sounding egotistical, but I think we had an impact. We have a, we've had an impact on young people's lives, and there is no amount of money. There is nothing that I would ever trade for that. It is the feeling that you get later on in life when you run into some of these guys or that you hear from them or you see them, and not so much as baseball players, but as men, how successful they've become. Yeah, I got – Dave, I got one more. I, I, I took I took a little bit longer this time, but I, I, I want to make this clear. We're speaking to Dave Tremblay, but also um, I think he made a great point about colleges there and, and the Division One and all that stuff. But we have a mutual friend, Dave Barnett, uh, coach at Flagler College here in, in St. Augustine, where I live currently. Uh, uh, and, and a player, he can get that experience at any level college, right, Dave? I mean, uh, it doesn't just have to be the big ones. There are so many great teachers out there. Dave Barnett. Let me tell you about Dave Barnett. Dave Barnett has been at Flagler for a long time. And the reason he's been there, one, he loves the game, but two, he's an exceptional teacher. We sent our son to Flagler College not only to get his degree, but to play baseball because I knew how he'd be treated by Dave Barnett. And I knew Dave Barnett was a tremendous person and a good teacher of baseball fundamentals and cared about his players. There are so many people like that out there that are in the trenches, so to speak, that don't get the limelight, that are out there to self-promote, but do it for the game and uh, do it for the good and future of young people. And um, that's why Dave Barnett is so well-respected in our game. Perfect. Go ahead, Dave. That's great. No, I, and that's what this show is for. It's to, to give voices to people that have an impact like you do and, and Dave Barnett and the countless others we've had on. Dave, you, you've got a great, I mean, your perspective is refreshing. I'm going to take you back. Who had an impact on you creating this way of doing things with baseball and with life? 
Well, I think everything starts from your environment. I've been very fortunate that, um, you know, what at one point in time was in the majority, maybe in the minority now. You know, I came from a very good environment of, you know, parents who allowed me to, uh, you know, figure things out on my own. I think my dad was probably a big influence on me of work ethic and um, my mother of being positive and uh, being persistent. But, you know, going to high school, I had a very good high school baseball coach in Tom Gibbons, who was a fundamental guy and very structured, uh, but a very caring uh, person. In fact, when uh, when he passed away a few years ago, his wife called me and asked me to uh, write something for his eulogy. And I was so taken back and privileged to do that. Um, but then going to college, you know, I had some very good college coaches, some very good teachers of not just athletics, but of life, of uh, how to make decisions and how to, you know, get along with people. And, um, you know, I think one of the one of the big lessons that I had in my life was going out to Los Angeles, California. And I was a high school baseball coach for three years in the inner city. And um, I learned how the other half lived. And I learned how to see things from the other side and how to get along with people and how to motivate, but also how to, um, you know, be receptive to seeing things a little bit different and getting it, you know, and you figure things out on your own. I was exposed to some tremendous college coaches and some tremendous teachers. Mostly all of them are in the College Coaches Hall of Fame now. Dave Gorey, who was at Pepperdine. Mike Gillespie, who was at USC. Oh. Um, a lot of those guys were a big influence on me. But then, you know, getting to the minor leagues, and when I got to the minor leagues to manage, it was just myself and a pitching coach. You, you learn how to uh, organize practice. You learn how to get along with players. You learn work ethic, persistence, patience, be positive. All those things that are really the key um, to being a good coach, to being a good teacher, to being a good manager, and taking yourself out of the equation of uh, not worrying about where you're going, but but really be more concerned about uh, where your players are going. So uh, I remember growing up, I grew up in northern New York State, you know, very close to the Canadian border. and you know, playing American Legion baseball in the summer. One of the guys that came back every summer and gave us uniforms to wear was probably one of the greatest teachers of all time with the Cardinals, and that was George Kissel. And uh, I didn't know that, Dave. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And uh, later on, when I'm <laughs> later on when I'm in the big leagues, uh, you know, and I got to know Tony Larusa very well because we're training in Fort Lauderdale with the Orioles, and we'd go to Jupiter, I think, every other day to play the Cardinals. You know. Uh, George Kissel comes over to me and he said, hey, are you that trembly kid from northern New York? And I said, Mr. Kissel, yes, I am. Uh, I said, you know, we wore those uh, American Legion uniforms, the old Cardinal throwdowns when I was a kid, 13, 14 years old. Um, I, I just so fortunate, Buzzy Keller, a, a great teacher, uh, you know, with the Pirates. Uh, guys that just come through my life and I think you learn observing other people and most of the things that you learn in this game uh kevin dave i think a lot of what you learn is what you don't want to do uh how you don't want things to be done uh, because you see 
uh, a lot of ways uh, it's just not right you know how you talk to people how you treat them uh, your body language how you organize uh, you know I, Jim Leland was probably as a, as a manager probably one of the biggest influences I've ever had in my life I managed him in the Eastern League in 1997 in Harrisburg and we lost 11 straight and Leland is first or second year manager in the big leagues with the Pirates and I'm staying at a Red Roof Inn in Albany, New York and we had lost 11 straight. My phone rings and it's Leland. And he calls me and he says, Dave, how you doing? And I never forgot that. But he said, hey, I managed 16 years in the minor league, so I know what you're going through. And at the time, we were 25 and 35. And Leland gave me one piece of advice. He said, stay with the fundamentals. Stick with fundamentals. Because if you do that, by the end of the year, you're going to be okay. Well, we were 25 and 35 at that time. And for the rest of the year, we went 52 and 28. We, went, we ended up winning the Eastern League Championship that year. And it wasn't because I was a great manager. It's because I took Leland's advice and stuck with the fundamentals and didn't waver if we were winning or losing. The process was much more important. And that started my career of understanding what player development really is all about. Player development is not about the coach or the manager. Player development is about the players. And your worth in this game is determined by what players do, not what you do. And uh, so a long-winded answer. There have been so many people who taught me and observed for me uh, that I observed. Joe Torrey, uh, many, Bobby Cox, uh, the people that, you know, I had the opportunity to learn from and watch and pick their brains. Uh, I dreamt about that when I was a kid. I love this. Great answer. And, I, and I'm, I want to share something with the audience. And Dave, if I'm getting this wrong, you certainly correct me. But I've heard you give this message on several different talks and at all different levels. And you talked about sticking to the fundamentals. This is stuff I've heard you say. Um, five things that, that teams need to do to have success. Pitchers throw strikes. Players make routine plays. Hitters get a good pitch to hit. Um Base runners make good decisions on the bases, and the way you're going to be judged is how do you compete, how do you do with failure and mistakes. And I've, I heard that in several different articles. Uh, where did that come from? And, I mean, that's simplicity at its finest, and it hits ahead on every level. Well, you, say, you know, we developed that philosophy very early. Um, I think that's teaching, uh, and that's what we've been as a teacher. Uh, the baseball field has been my classroom for over 40 years, and um, – you know, you learn by doing these three things. You observe the player, you evaluate where he's at, and then you instruct after you develop the plan. Um, we developed those five codes of progression uh, for a baseball player a uh, long, long, long time ago. I remember being in, uh, you know, the minor leagues and, you know, you got 30 players and you got one coach and... I don't care if a guy's a first-round pick or like Jason Maxwell was the 74th-round pick the last guy in the country. Everybody's a prospect. So you really have to tone in and, and hear in and what needs to occur for this guy to reach his potential. I don't think you ever tell a guy he's going to get to the big leagues. I don't think you ever do that. I think what you try to tell a guy is we're trying to develop you so you can be the best possible player that you can be. We want to maximize the ability and the talent that you have. And a lot of it is up to you. And a lot of it, um, I think, depends on two things, which are very important. One, attitude, and two, makeup. 
I can't teach you <laughs> to care, and I can't teach you to love this game. I can teach you how to play. I can give you the opportunity to how to play, but the results and a lot of it is going to come with your attitude and your work ethic. And your work ethic is about your makeup and sticking with it. Had a lot of players that I thought had a lot of ability, far more than some guys that that I know and manage and coach that made it to the big leagues. But their ability to be positive, to be patient, to be persistent, to overcome failure, to deal with the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, the long bus rides the low pay, um, you know, it, it, it uh, steered them off course. So, you know, the five things that we have tried to pound into players, I remember there's a there's a hitting guy now, I think he's assistant hitting coordinator with uh, the Royals, his name is Nick Jackson, and I had Nick in 2001 with the Cubs, and um, the, the day we won our 1,000th game in the minor leagues, and it wasn't me winning, it was the team winning it. And they asked Nick, Sean asked Nick after the game, well, what do you think about this? And he said, yeah, we won a two-to-one game, fundamentals, just like Dave's been pounded into our heads since day one. And that's what happens. I think what happens is some guys listen, some guys get it, and uh, but you never give up uh, trying to make inroads with each and every one of them. I love that. It's uh, we're, we're coming close on our time. We promise we get you out here quick. Got one more quick question and then Kevin has a great question he always asks our guests at the end we'll get to the number 47 um, you know you wore that during your coaching career except for I think maybe with the Braves um, because of Glavin tell me this tell us the significance of that number for you that's a great question I, I probably get uh, somewhat emotional here because I'm so humbled uh, at the history of this I couldn't get 47 uh, when I was with the Braves because of Tommy Glavin but my first spring training, you know, uh, going to the big league. I was 55 years old when I got to the big leagues um, with the Orioles. And I got hired by Mike Flanagan and uh, Jim Duquette. And they hired me to be the coordinator of instruction and the major league field coordinator and to run spring training down in Fort Lauderdale, the old Yankee complex. And there was a stadium and two fields on the back. And, you know, we'd have to bring 80 players to – the big league camp because the minor league camp was over in Sarasota. So in order to have enough players, you couldn't shuttle them back and forth because it's three and a half hours from Sarasota to uh, Fort Lauderdale. So they said, we want you to teach and reestablish um, the Oriole way of doing things. And the first year I went in spring training, they gave me number 18. You can pick some old pictures maybe, and you'll see me in number 18. At the end of the spring training, and I get to the big leagues, Jimmy Tyler, who's who's the clubhouse guy in Baltimore, whose father, Ernie Tyler, had been the clubhouse guy for years and ended up being the ball boy in the old Walmart, you know, Memorial Stadium and then at Camden Yards. It came down from the front office that uh, they hadn't given out number 47 in a long time because it was uh, Cal Ripken Sr.'s number. And... Uh, the people that were uh, making decisions liked what we had done in spring training and liked what we had done in the minor leagues uh, to develop and return Oriole way of doing things. That I came into uh, Major League Clubhouse in Camden Yards and there was a 47 in my locker. And I went to Jimmy Tyler and I said, Jimmy, what is this? I thought I was 18. And he said, no, they want you to wear 47 because uh, they see that you uh, putting our way back into the program here. 
Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, look, and with that, Kevin, we'll turn it back over to you to, to ask that famous last question you ask all our guests. I can't wait for this answer. Well, I was going to say, uh, we ask this all our guests, Dave, and um, we always get great answers, but I think asking you this question is going to be really special because I think you've lived it your whole life. But uh, it's a real simple question. Think about it for a second if you have to. But And it doesn't have to be about you, but the question is this. What does a ball player, being a ball player, what does that mean to you, Dave Tremble? I think, you know, I, I've written um, player reports and one-line summaries and said, this is a ball player. And to me, a guy that's a ball player um, is a player who does things right all the time. Um, he has the ability to control his emotions. You never know if he's going good or bad. Um, Derek Jeter, to me, was probably the best ball player that I saw uh when I was in the big leagues, he did come back to the pitcher and he'd run four flat to first base. That's a ball player. Um, a guy who's a ball player has integrity. He has respect for himself and for the game. He understands where he's come from and he wants to give back to the game. He doesn't want to take. He wants to make it a little bit better for those coming after him. And he remembers those who have given him the opportunity um, to have all the things that he now has. I think that is a ball player. Those people are special. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Um, I think uh, we're going to get a lot more if we have the right people mentoring, encouraging um, guys along the way. That's a great answer, Dave, and, and, and I'm telling you, you know, we love doing this show, and you're a perfect example of why we love doing it, because this is what baseball is all about, and uh, with that, I just want to say thank you, and uh, I'll let Dave wrap it up. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave, and Kevin, thanks to you as well for doing this remote today on assignment there at the Mets game, and I'll even go one step further with, you know, everybody... Kevin mentioned everybody needs one of you in a major league team right now. I'd love to have one of you in every community in America right now because we could, we could use that with our kids, without a doubt. But, uh, Dave, thanks so much for giving us your time today, giving us your knowledge and really opening up to our audience. You, you did our job, I think, by building a better baseball IQ with the, the listeners. For 13,000, I'm looking ahead now. We should be there by the end of the week. Subscribers, thanks for your support. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. I will respond back. I'll answer everybody back. And one guest gets posted every day. The answer to it, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher are our call signs. You can find us on those podcast networks. And once again, this is Real Voice of the Game production and Coaching Turn our flagship show. We want to thank you guys. And until next time, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much.